Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and our guest today is the one and only Dave Weckel. Dave has been a drumming icon for 35 years, both as a performer and an educator. He's obviously been a heavy influence on so many drummers, I can't tell you how many we've talked to who include him on their heroes list. But even for drummers who don't count Weckl as one of their main influences, his presence on the drumming landscape has been so ubiquitous and far-reaching through his recordings, live performances, clinics, instructional videos, books, and all the products he's had a hand in developing that I think each of us could point to at least a couple of his concepts that have made their way into our playing. If you want to help support what we do here at Working Drummer Podcast, we invite you to become a patron. Our latest installment is by our own Matthew Krauss. It's a video and PDF of some hand-foot independence concepts he's been working on during this downtime. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive educational content from our former guests. We're populating new content regularly and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. So the number of things we'd all want to hear Dave Weckl talk about could take up hours and hours. I certainly had quite a long list going into this interview, but I wanted to be respectful of his time. And as you probably know, his ideas and observations are very comprehensive and well thought out. So this conversation only covers a few big topics, uh, but it was a good reminder of why Dave is such a great performer and such an effective educator, because his thought process is so complete and he imparts it so clearly. Real quick, we want to give a big shout-out and a thank you to Joe Ganzis of Behind the Kit for recommending that Dave do Working Drummer Podcast and making the introductions. Really appreciate you, Joe. So here he is, Mr. Dave Weckel. of a different time you know that mm-hmm, we're all for sure we're all dealing with here so right um you know but it's uh it's good man it's a, it's everything's cool it's we're all we're all kind of in this together so um yes. you know it's uh, it's like i said interesting for me i'm i'm getting a lot of work done i'm actually i'm actually busier than i usually am so it's kind of um you know now that i've integrated online teaching to my uh my the lessons anyway private lessons you know one-on-one that's kind of become uh, the new occupation while while I'm home here. Um, right, and is is that something that kind of you'd be doing anyway, or or uh, did COVID kind of uh, shift your focus to that? Yeah, the whole stay at home thing sort of forced the issue because mm-hmm. um, you know I had I had tours booked in you know this month and into June and the whole summer and you know so I I wasn't really uh, concentrating on um, you know getting it together to do exact one-on-one things because i do teach occasionally but it's usually 
you know, in person or in real one physically with people and face to face, you know, so, but, um, but yeah, this, uh, this, this presented a whole, uh, a whole opportunity and a whole different set of circumstances. So, um, you know, I, I talked to some people and, um, you know, have to, I have to give a shout out to, uh, uh, the guy that really kind of helped me the most through all of this. And I want to make sure I pronounce his name correctly. Cause it's, cause it's an Italian name and, I, <laughs> and <laughs> we're tough ones. It's yeah. yeah. Well, I know I'm married to one. So, <laughs> Oh man. Um, yeah. I'm Toscano, sorry. Jim Toscano on the East coast. He's, oh, cool. uh, um, yeah, he really has this, uh, this whole online lesson thing together with his video equipment and audio. And so I, I sort of followed in his steps and just uh, got this video switcher from Roland. And, you know, I'm set up with my cameras anyway from my online school filming. So um, so it looks pretty good in here. And I've, I've managed to get the sound coming back through my Pro Tools rig. And and um, if we could just if we could just figure out the, the latency that uh, that yeah. mostly the, the Zoom program is creating, I think uh, we'd be golden. But uh, but other than that, it's going really well. It's a lot of fun. I'm meeting people all over the planet and giving them lessons and you know so it's it's cool it's a lot of fun yeah i'm I'm sure that people all over the planet who have been meaning to do something like this are are finally given the chance to to hit you up because everybody's home (laughs) yeah exactly it's uh that's what i mean it's kind of giving everybody a minute to uh you know to focus either on their hobby or on their profession or i've had some youngsters in there too that the parents are helping out and you know and uh that's great what's the youngest student you're teaching right now um, well, I think, uh, 13 is probably the wow. youngest so far that I've had. And, and that was Anna. That was a, that was a, a young lady from, uh, from back East, I think as well. Oh, and, how cool. uh, yeah. And I just had a 15 year old guy, Remy, that, uh, was from uh, Central America, I think. And, mm-hmm. um, all these, they're playing great and. You know, it's just a lot of fun to interact that way with with so many people because I'm not generally a full time teacher. I'm 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 right. usually got stuff going and touring a lot still. So uh, you know, so the teaching kind of happens through the school, the, the online school, and right. Um, but the one on one thing isn't so prevalent, you know. So whether it's teaching or playing, I feel like um, I feel like Dave Weckl is a brand of drumming and and it was a brand of drumming long before the concept of a person you know having a brand um was a thing um and it it encompasses you know you're playing obviously but just your whole aesthetic your your teaching uh you know catalog your product development um and i'm curious as to a if if that was kind of a goal of yours uh from from an early stage in your career and b if the decisions you've made along the way uh, in in kind of building and creating your brand are, you know, similar to the decisions that kind of a more ground level musician makes uh, in their career as far as, you know, who to associate yourself with, what to say yes to, um, or do you feel like the the path you've taken has required some sort of higher level, more, uh, three-dimensional chess type decisions? Well, that's a, that's a tough question really. Cause you know, everybody's got their own personal path. So, you know, and, and we all are presented with, uh, 
with our upbringing and our in our nurturing from parents and and then going right. forward making our own decisions based on that upbringing sometimes and and uh, well most of the time I guess and and um, and then it's who we meet and and who we get advice from who we learn from and and who we trust <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. yeah uh, you know for me I I didn't think about the word brand uh, until much later but I, I I'll get to that in a second but. Um, I was always thinking about the business side of it uh, from a standpoint of uh, I don't know, just uh, trying to trying to get known, um, you know, as a player and you know a person that was responsible and you know would 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 be easy to work with and would just do the right things to go and do what was necessary to get the gigs. This is I'm talking. I was you know first hitting the scene in New York and and even before in St. Louis when I was growing up there. Um, so um, I was always, you know, as a kid, I'd, I was looking at at play, at some of my favorite players. And mind you, I mean, this was in the 70s when <laughs> when there was there wasn't too much uh, uh, media available, you know, in the form of instructional stuff. But there certainly was books and there were play along ideas and and uh, you know, and then the video started to happen. But uh, but from a from a really early um, standpoint, I one of, one of my favorite things that um, that one of my teachers, uh, Bob Matheny, was one of my first teachers in St. Louis. He turned me on and, and taught out of this uh, this Roy Burns Jim Petersack uh, method called Big Bad and Beautiful, which was a, a big band play along type of thing. It was really it wasn't a play along in the sense that you know that there were still drums there. Roy's drums were there, but it was with right. Grove Big Band and 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 they had charts. And it was part of my training when I was 12, 13 to get into the high school jazz band mm-hmm. to learn how to read charts. And I was already kind of way into Buddy Rich by the time I was 12 anyway, and you know attempting to to understand uh, what he was doing and but. But I was getting that education, just trying to play along with the records, you know, about the big band stuff. So, um, you know, so when I was when I got to the point where I was could start thinking a little more like, you know, an adult, you know, 17, 16, 17, I I was always wondering, like, where are the products from my favorite drummers? You know, Mm -hmm. God, if I were these guys, I'd have books, I'd have all this stuff out and. And you know, of course, they're, the reason for that is because they're they're too damn busy playing and working, you know, to do <laughs> right. it all, right? Which I found right. out later. But, um, you know, so for me, the 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 for example, my my product um, that that I titled um, Contemporary Drummer Plus One, which uh, was an audio package at the time. It first hit. It was a cassette with charts, you know, and a book, mm-hmm. and that that type of thing was was in my mind since I was 13 or 14 years old to create a product in real time that was a little more contemporary that 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 aimed at the market of learning how to play a lot of different styles and preparing for a lot of different things in the business jingles even you know that type of thing yeah yeah and uh and then I did a you know so there was a version with drums and a version without drums um you know and the productions were really in time and sequence so it was like playing to a really good you know, metronome with the likes of Michael Brecker and Chick Corea and 
Cheryl Crow and like all these people right. were on this project that Jay and I, Jay Oliver and I produced. And, um, and that was a, you know, that was kind of my first project. I, when I got with Chick in the eighties in the late eighties, uh, I was offered a record deal. Everybody was getting record deals in the mid eighties, right? Mm-hmm. It was, yeah. Know, GRP. It's like, if you worked with, if you worked with Chick or if you worked with somebody else that was like one of the stars of the GRP label, it was you almost immediately got a record deal. Mm-hmm. Well, I was offered the deal not too long after I was with Chick, maybe a year or two, and I said no. I actually said no. I, this doesn't make any sense. Nobody really knows who I am yet at this point. So the contemporary drummer thing, I said, let me let me try to get my drumming audience together. Mm-hmm. So so we did the this contemporary drummer thing in I don't know eighty eight maybe, and um, and then I did the the videos. And when I find, you know, so those, those things hit the market and they were wildly successful there, you know, there was, the, yeah. it was really successful. And, and then the videos were successful cause that was, those were just kind of new and everybody was just coming out with videos in the late eighties. And, right. and uh, so I was kind of at the forefront of, of, of being involved with that, that whole scene. And then, um, when they kept offering me the deal, I finally said, yes, okay. And, and the name of the record was Master Plan because that's what it was. It was a master plan to get the audience to start creating the brand that I didn't really think about that I was doing or, you know, should be doing. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it wasn't until later and I met, I met this, this, this gentleman that is a, a hobbyist drummer that's a very successful businessman. And he, he was the one that kind of sat me down one time and just talked to me about the brand uh, idea mm-hmm. and kind of from that discussion. And this is probably, I don't know, mid, mid two thousands, um, you know, in that period. And, and I, he said two things to me that stuck to stuck with me. And he says, you have to, you have to consider your time investment. What's going to make you the most amount of money in the least amount of time. And how are you going to brand yourself? You know? Mm-hmm. So it, all those things, you know, kind of s- stuck with me to, um, to attempt to all, all within the premise, mind you, of creating product that I was really, uh, sincere and honest and about and wanting to get, you know, get it done as far as records, um, videos, um, you know, drumsticks and cymbals. Those were more for my own, own thing. Um, you know, cause I've got, I've got a couple signature lines with Vic Firth, um, you know, to accommodate my way of playing, my needs, right. right? And with Sabian, of course, we've got the whole evolution legacy line that was created that that's still one of the best-selling symbol lines today. And yeah. they were created, both of those things, for for me. I wasn't thinking of marketplace, not, you know, not so much, especially with the sticks, but the symbols kind of, yeah, we were going after a certain thing that I knew Sabian didn't have at the time. Right. And, um and, you know, like I said, they, they became part of that whole branding thing. And, and thankfully, yes, I was in a position to do it with, uh, with the popularity of being with Chick's group and, and then my own records and being able to get out there on, on an international level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it wasn't without a lot of hard work. You know, it just didn't fall in my lap. So it was, uh, you know, I think people have to understand that, you know, stuff doesn't just happen, you know, it's for for that reason. (laughs) Right. And I think something else maybe people don't understand about having a brand is that it, it requires 
like you said, some products <laughs> to, yeah. to offer to people and to be associated with. And, you know, that could be, that could be anything. It could be, you know, sticks or instruments. It could be recordings. It could be educational content, but I mean, there has to be some kind of like tangible thing, um, that people can at least interact with, if not use. Um, well, um, I, I mean, you know, back in my day, I guess I could say, you know, back then, yes, Nowadays, I'm not so sure that's 100% correct because, uh, you know, there's plenty of YouTubers out there that have created a brand without without having any product or anything other than their reputation and what they're what they're presenting to people as their, you know, their their talent, which sure. in a lot of in a lot of you know uh, instances is is phenomenal. It's, right. It's, it's great, and that's. You know, these days with the social media presence and being and if you're smart enough to use that as as a marketing tool, mm -hmm. uh, you can certainly brand yourself very easily yeah. without without any of the physical stuff. You know what I mean? So right. it's, it's, it's certainly doable. And and it kind of brings it back to the whole aspect of, you know, it what this really comes down to and what it what it comes back to is. um the talent, you know, and what, what are you offering as a player? What are you offering as a person? What are you offering? You know, what is the, what is the brand, uh, stating, you know, and right. what does it stand, what does it stand for? And, um, and, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's always kind of been, you know, my vision of, of, you know, just presenting, uh, very high level product productions um that are my vision you know and if it, it and i was lucky enough that my vision had a lot to had a lot of you know uh correlation with other people's visions of what they like to hear or what they like you know as far as uh teaching stuff um, right sound of the drums sound of the records um the performances um, yeah you know and the the teaching content so so it's kind of all you know geared towards you know, my honest sharing of all of it, uh, and just presenting what I know based off of what I've been taught from all my great teachers of the past and, and all my experiences playing with the amazing, you know, people that I played with, uh, over my career and still playing with. And it's, um, you know, so, so it's, it's kind of, a. I think it's a, I think the concentrated effort is to, you know, is to not be shy about, you know, extroverting what you do have and, and then also staying in a positive frame of mind to, to, to get the courage and the, you know, and just get the motivation, self-motivation to do right. something, you know, cause I mean, stuff like this, you know, this virus can, you know, it can be, it can be devastating to a lot mm -hmm. of people, you know, cause if, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think for us musicians, we're, we're, we're kind of fortunate in a way um, because we're so used to spending time by ourselves, and we're so used to, I said, I kid with everybody that tells me they call me all concerned because I'm alone here. My wife, my <laughs> wife is, is, is in Italy and I'm, I'm here and we haven't seen each other since January. And, oh and, man, uh, which, which really sucks. It's, it's, that's, that's the downside of this, but I got friends calling, man, you okay? 
all along. I said, dude, I've been I've been isolating for fifty years. It's not. It's like <laughs> this is nothing new for me, you know. Right. But, well, you're you're touching on something. Sorry to interrupt you, but you're you're touching on something that that we've talked about before, which is that you know to to be successful in the music world, especially from a business standpoint, you have to be kind of extroverted. Um, but to be successful from a musical standpoint, you have to be kind of introverted. And we've talked about how musicians and I think drummers especially are, you know, pr- I, I would, I would say that most of us have like pretty introverted tendencies, but we have to, you know, find the extrovert inside and, and, uh, you know, put it, put it out there in order to form relationships and to, like you said, um, just sort of go after things. Correct. I totally agree. Yeah, it's, um, you know, nothing, you know, I, I always tell students and, you know, anybody that's willing to listen that, that, you know, none of this comes easy. And, you know, to do anything right at a high level, it takes takes a lot of takes a lot of sacrifice, takes a lot of uh, study and a lot of uh, just doing it over and over again. And there's no uh, there's no shortcuts, you know, and there's no substitute for that kind of uh, concentrated work. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same point, yeah, you have to develop enough social skills and get over any shyness and get over any, you know, um, of the introverted aspect to know how to communicate with people to, you know, and to um, and sometimes, you know, we don't want to do that. It's it's I know for me, it's like I'm I'm in, I, you know inherently uh, shy from, you know, my dad was, man, he never went anywhere. It was like, cause he was so shy, you know, he's, um, right. you know, he would, he would, he would, he would bring me to rehearsals and wait in the car. He wouldn't even come inside, you know, so, he was so, shy. <laughs> so I had, I, you know, I had a lot of shy shyness to come over and a lot of, a lot of times people, you know, will, they may, you know, take that shyness as, as being aloof or, or, you know, even, even stuck up to a point of not wanting to talk to people. But a lot of the times, you know, it's just like, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a shyness thing, you know, yeah. and it, it's a tough one to, uh, especially when you are used to being alone. It's like, you know, we kind of like to be alone sometimes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's important. Like you said, you got to kind of, you know, learn, learn about the, the social aspect and the, and the contact with people too. You know? Right. Important. Very partnership with uh chick korea is well documented um and when somebody has a, a long partnership like that especially when it is with someone uh, as iconic as chick um i wonder you know from 
in in all the years that you've been playing with Chick, um, what are some of the things about making music with him uh, and the and the vibe that the two of you have together um, that have not changed since the first day that you started playing with him? And you know, by contrast, what are some things that are kind of constantly evolving with him? Well, I grew up, you know, listening to. Well, I don't say I grew up, but in my in my teens, my you know when I was I think I was probably about fifteen or sixteen when I got really turned on to Chick, and that was that was because of Steve Gadd being on uh, the record that I heard, which I believe was the Leprechaun at the time, but it could could have been something else. Um, but I'm pretty sure it was that record, and it was either that or Mad Hatter. I don't remember which one, but. Okay. Um, but that was the first that I that I kind of really got turned on to Chick. I mean, I I because um, I really wasn't into the the fusion thing like Return to Forever and what, it just wasn't my type. It was a little too rock heavy for me mm-hmm. uh, back in those days. And and I and I knew about the music, but but um, but of course Gad was you know just uh, uh, you know he I think he he. Well, I mean, I don't think. I mean, I, he basically whacked everybody over the side of the head when he started to m- make noise with with all these people. And yeah. those chick records were, you know, I mean, he just he just took the whole drumming thing, set it on its ear. And I, you know, I was, uh, me and the rest of the planet were, you know, completely, <laughs> you know, uh, just so into what he was doing. So I, yeah. I tend, I, t- I, I started to tend to, to learn about other players because of, because of drummers, you know, because of Steve and Peter and, you know, the, and Vinny, uh, the drummers, all the guys were playing with, you know, right. and, and it's, um, and I'm, a, I'm, you know, a little bit, little bit younger than those guys so i was still kind of considering myself a kid while they were actually doing it you know they were out, mm-hmm. there, out there doing doing stuff already um and making noise and making records so but with chick you know the point of it is is that i was trying to play with those records so you know friends and you know three quartets and all those records that chick had that steve was on um they were they were in playlist as it were you know on my record player playing with those with those songs and studying all that stuff so i was in effect kind of playing with chick you know just playing along with the records so when i got the opportunity when he hired john and i um this would be 10 you know eight to ten years later in 1985 um you know it was it was kind of like just sitting in and playing to a record because (laughs) I already knew what his phrasings were like, you know, and I, I knew not, not, not that he plays the same thing all the time. It's not what I mean. I mean, it's everybody has a kind of a style and a way of doing things. And right. I mean, it was kind of comical for me because it was just, I mean, and, and of course, starstruck at the same time. Sure. You know, just like, wow, I'm actually playing with this guy that I, you know, and it's like, just like playing with the records. It's not fake. You know? <laughs> right, like, right. This is live in Memorex. You know? Yeah, it's yeah. Like, wow, unbelievable. He, so, he really does play that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and because of that schooling, you know, of listening to him and playing with him, um, I, I developed that kind of time feel as well. And, um, and, and so, so from the get go, when John and I and, and Chick played together, the chemistry was, 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 was pretty ridiculous just, just because John and I both had, had spent a lot of time, you know, listening to Chick. And yeah. so, 
you know, that relationship grew throughout the years of, you know, playing all the music and writing together and producing records together and, and all that stuff. And, and he was so cool to give us the, um, the freedom to, to create. And that's kind of his, you know, his main, uh, you know, mantra in life is, is basically, you know, making sure to give everybody that freedom to create and making sure that everybody works towards that. Um, so, you know, I guess, you know, it's hard to put a, it's hard to put a finger on like what, you know, what exactly, or, you know, any of that stuff, but it just to, you know, just to kind of, you know, put it in a, in a, in the, in the, ball of both hands at the same time holding it up in the air it's like it's just the it's just the the chemistry you know the musical the musical chemistry that kept growing and and um and the joy of playing with him in both the electric situation and the acoustic situation right and the joy of it is that we still get to do it on occasion and um you know we've we've uh over the last few years we've we've done some kind of cool projects again and and uh, you know, there's a there's a record that we made, a double record actually, of a live performance with the acoustic thing, and then, you know, with both the electric and the acoustic, we we tour again, and it's and it's still to this day, I mean, us young guys, we've kind of matured a little bit now, so we're we're we've, you know, I th- I think it's a it's a it's a little bit of a m- more mature unit actually, both of them than it was back in the eighties. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, you know it's just it matured it has matured into a, a you know a continuing beautiful you know, relationship. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. And um, talking about Patatucci, um, how did playing with him and how has playing with him? I also kind of want to have you talk about uh, Tom Kennedy in this regard, but those seem to be kind of the two you know main bases that you've played with as as much as any others, um, but. How have those bassists uh, influenced you and, and improved you as a player? Well, I, I, I'm going to start with Tom actually because because Tom and I, Tom Kennedy and I, go back to you know this period that I'm talking about of you know the mid '70s when we were teenagers and you know 15 years old is when we met basically. And so he's from St. Louis too. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Wow. And it was uh, yeah, and and I met him. Because even though we were in kind of in the same area, we weren't in the same schools or any of that type of stuff. We were far enough away to not know each other. Um, but we were both in high school jazz bands. And in the Midwest, that was a huge deal in the 70s and 80s. And well, maybe not the 80s even, but certainly in the 70s. And, and you know, we were both getting awards for solos. And, you know, the awards were from the National Association of Jazz Educators, Right. I've got, you know, I've got like 10 of these plaques on my wall and, and, you know, from then when I was a kid and, and that's cool, but, but the, the award was, they sent us to the Stan Kenton, uh, band clinics, camps, band right. camps, you know, and this was in Springfield, Missouri. And that's where I met Tom, him and his brother, Ray, who is since unfortunately left us uh, way too soon. The pianist. I didn't realize they were brothers. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. They were brothers, absolutely brothers. And you know, they were both at the, at the, at the camp and we met because of a jam session. And when, then we found out that we were both local in St. Louis and that's when the relationship ensued. 
and my dad was driving. I was still underage. My dad was driving me with the drums over to their house, and we'd play for hours and hours and hours. Right. You know, so Your dad would sit in the car. My dad was in the car. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was funny. Um, and then uh, you know when I got when I started driving, yeah, we was you know we just kept doing it, and you know, and then Tom said, "Hey, man, you got to meet this keyboard player," and that's where Jay Oliver and then that relationship took off from that you know from from Tom. But playing with Tom, this is what I mean about, you know, like chemistry that happens from people that play together so much. And especially from a young age, we developed, and I mean, we had a lot of the same likes and, and um, you know, we're, we're listening to similar things as well. But we just have that, that sense of time and mm-hmm. that sense of uh, feel that you don't have to talk about. And that, right. you know, that type of thing has grown like over the years. And I, you know, I, I definitely will, will go on record saying he's probably, well, he's certainly one of the, the greatest bass players out there, first of all, but second of all, that, that I really get on with that I don't have to think about at all right, or, right. or question or adapt to a time field because we're, we're both constantly adapting to each other. And, <clears throat> but there's, there's, there's really no discussion needed, you know? Yeah. Now, when I got the gig with Chick and, and John was a bass player, I'd never met him before, never played with him before, didn't even know who he was. Uh, and we got on this thing. And I mean, the chemistry was pretty cool, but we, it was something that we had to grow together. Um, and I, ironically, John and I, we had both been doing a lot of R&B gigs. Like he was playing with Larry Carlton and some other stuff. And I was, I was doing gigs with Richard T and... Cornell Dupree and, you know, Sanborn would sit in and it was, you know, it was, uh, it was one of Gad's, you know, uh, kind of one of Gad's gigs, but an offshoot of it, right. um, when he was down and out for a little bit. But, um, the, so we were both kind of coming from more of a laid back pocket feel in those days. And when we were trying to do this music with Chick that had a groove to it, you know, Chick likes to burn and Chick likes to, you know, I don't, I don't want to say be on top, but for that kind of stuff, it's a, it's a, it's a time feel. Yeah. It's and, forward and, leaning. <laughs> yeah. And, and John and I were kind of trying to, you know, mistakenly hold it back a little bit and just groove. And we would, I would record the gig and, you know, and then John and I or get tapes from the board tape or whatever. And we'd run to the car. Remember the <laughs> first Queen Mary gig we did in 80, it was, yeah, early 85 was one of the first gigs at the Queen Mary Jazz Festival here in L.A. And, and um, I remember running to my Honda Civic, man, and just getting in the car and putting on a tape. And I'm like, I, we were so, I was really disappointed. I was, God, this sucks, man. It sounds like we're dragging our ass off, you know? Oh, man. So, <clears throat> so I, you know, we really had to adapt and, and play with a certain, a certain edge, you know, to, to actually make the music work. Cause it, it wasn't that chick sounded like he was rushing. He sounded mm-hmm. like he was burning and we sounded like we were dragging, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, yeah. um, so, uh, <clears throat> so yeah, so that was, uh, that was an education and both John and I had to, had to grow and adapt together with chick and to each other, you know, in those situations. But, but having said that, you know, that, that relationship just blossomed and, and playing with John is, is he's so soulful and, you know, just a great, great feeling bass player. Yeah. And he's got, you know, as far as jazz, uh, 
you know, harmony, knowledge, and ability. I mean, he's, you know, I, I remember him just, you know, transcribing and studying Michael Brown for hours and hours and hours. And, wow. you know, I think he was doing that, you know, when he was a teenager. So, yeah, that's incredible. And it's a great illustration of how, you know, um, it, it's kind of, the, the the two ways that that music can go either you have you know deep history and an immediate um connection with somebody that just is you know locked from day one and it matures from there or um you have to find it with somebody um and and really think about it and really kind of make an effort and and magic can be made out of out of both but it's it's interesting how you know i'm, I'm sure most most of us could point to like two musicians like that in our lives, like one who it was immediate and another one who it was like, Oh, we got to figure this out, but it's going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I also think too, it's an, uh, it's an agreement, you know, that, that sure. both musicians have to have to, to learn how to adapt. And then, you know, even things can be discussed, but I, you know, if there's a, if there's a, if there's a difference, I I've only had honestly problems with one bass player in my entire life. And I'm not going to mention any names, but but I just, and, and I was trying, I was, and this guy was, you know, a famous dude and I, I was kind of still young, but I was trying to adapt and I just felt like the minute I would, that I would lock up with him, he would almost purposely go away from me, you know, mm, and, yeah, yeah. and I was just like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> you know, and I've never had that experience with anybody else. So luckily I, you know, I've, um, I've just been blessed to play with, you know, some of the greatest bass players in the world, man. And I, you know, yeah. my, from my early times in New York, um, you know, the guy, Paul Adamy was a bass player that maybe nobody uh, or not too many people know about because he was kind of buried in the pits in New York for years. But, but Paul was a bass player in Night Sprite when I was first with that band and when I was in, in college. And that was the band that Peter Erskine saw me with that mm. kind of got me my recommendation to to play with uh, Michelle Camillo and all those people. Yeah. Um, you know, but man, he was a great bass player and we had a lot of fun together in that band. And then once I started working with this, it was actually French Toast was the gig that I got with. I got to play a lot with Anthony Jackson. And Anthony yeah. is, he's so different than anybody else, but his thing is his thing. Mm -hmm. And his thing, his time is like Steve Gadd's time. <laughs> and I think he told me one time that he learned it from Gad because just of Gad's intention of literally something as simple as, as, as one measure of straight 16th notes, how intense and how musical that can be if played with the intention that those guys play it with. Right. And, and Anthony was just something else. So we, we, I, I had a lot of, uh, incredible experiences playing with Anthony, both live and in the studio um, and the first, the first thing, actually the first thing that I actually got to do with Anthony, uh, well, it was that, it was that group and he was kind of responsible then for getting me on the Simon and Garfunkel tour in 83. And, um, and I just did a ton of work with him and he's on a couple of my records as well. And, and, um, you know, so I love Anthony. He's, he's, he's something else. And, and anybody that we worked with, you know, that even Tom, you know, when we was doing the records, we're like, Tom, you got to listen to Anthony, go listen to Anthony. And, <laughs> so, and, and everybody has, you know, has listened to Anthony and taken, you know, taken something from that guy. He's just incredible. Yeah. And then I started working with a lot of great bass players in New York. I got to work with Marcus Miller a little bit. Not enough. I wish I could have worked with Marcus some more. Maybe that, maybe we can do that some. Yeah. Some not too late here. <laughs> never too late right and yeah. 
but man, Tom Barney and and um, you know, of course, Will Lee is is one of oh, my favorite yeah. bass players in New York that I've that I got to play with quite a bit, and mm-hmm. um, and uh, there's just a lot of great bass players. Um, you know, Sky Frank Beyer was one. Of, was a great bass player that played with uh, one of the one of the groups that I was with with uh, um, with some cats in New York, and uh, we we just had a I had a lot of a lot of great experiences, and then and then uh, later on playing with with Mike Stern, you know, it's to, to play with with the late Je- uh, Jeff Andrews was amazing, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, and God, there's a there's a whole list, but you know, through that band, you know, Richard Bona came through there, right? Um, you know, um, yeah, Bona Wooten. Bona must have been a different trip because like he doesn't he doesn't read, right? And just has kind of a different, uh, you know, <laughs> different yeah. approach to it. Yeah, 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 and and the whole African thing, you know, where where he's from is just the whole Cameroonian thing is just amazing, man. It was right. just, uh, ugh, just playing with him was was great, but yes, very different. Yeah, um, you know, but Victor Wooten came through, and that was that was fun, and and um, yeah, I just played with some amazing bass players, you know, yeah. and uh, out here in L.A. too, you know, Jimmy Johnson and and. Um, Man, there's a, I know I'm going to forget somebody. Rick Ferrabracci is <laughs> another great bass player. There's just so many great guys that I've gotten to play with, you know. And yeah. I'm going to leave. I know I'm going to leave somebody out, and somebody's going, well, "What about me? <laughs> what about this guy?" What about right, because all the all the bassists are listening to the drummer podcast. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> about uh just the the physicality and and ergonomics of of drumming and and your drumming specifically um you know you've you've been uh an open book uh pretty much about everything in in your musical development in your career but um you seem to be uh especially focused on on physicality and movement um i was watching uh, you know, the famous video of the, the, the trio with you and Gad and Vinny for the, the burning for buddy thing. Um, and right after that, I watched, um, the video from, I think it was like six months ago with your band at the, uh, the festival there. Um, and the difference just struck me because, you know, in, in years past and, you know, in that era, whatever it was in the mid nineties up to then your, your movement was, it seemed to have more violence in it, right? It was just faster and more aggressive. And I watched this recent video and you of course still sound exactly like you, but just the movement had completely smoothed out. Um, and you seemed like, even though you weren't playing any slower, you just seemed to be moving slower. 
Um, so I'm, I'd be fascinated to hear about just the journey you've been on uh, with the physical aspect of your playing. Well, Zach, let me tell you, um, <laughs> it's interesting you should use the word violence. Um, I'm, I'm definitely not a violent guy, but right. <laughs> but I remember um, you know, a couple things. Uh, I've always been into the energy aspect, the higher en- energy, you know, players, you know, and uh, it's why I've always I always you know was attracted to to players like that, you know, like mm-hmm. Vinny and and Buddy and you know and Gad. Yeah. Uh, back in the day, and uh, and Peter Erskine. Now, yeah. when I was a kid, you know, the only way I saw these guys, you know, Buddy Rich, I saw a few times live um, coming through St. Louis, usually from a great distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met him once when I was fourteen, which was um, which was kind of silly because because I was so shy. That was one of those instances where. If I would have been just a little bit more extroverted, it would have probably went better. But um, it, it was just—it was not memorable for either one of us, you know. I mean, for me it was, but but it just didn't last very long. Got the picture, and that was it, you know. Um, but uh, but I remember, you know, Erskine coming through with with um, with Maynard Ferguson, mm-hmm. and I swear to God, he was jumping up and down on the on the throne. There was just so much energy. And then, you know, I saw Gad for the first time in 79 when I moved to New York and live. And I actually still have that recording, actually. Um, it was him with Steps before it was called Steps Ahead. And, I, God, it was just absolutely burning, just yeah. completely I mean, He literally crazy. is jumping up and down. Like, yeah, to this and day, I mean, it's just... And the <laughs> actions, the action, you know, and, and there's even some videos. If you go pull up some videos of Steve from, you know, the 70s, in early eighties. I mean, man, there was so much physical stuff. So I was, I was kind of pattering, pattering, pat, patterning myself <laughs> after these guys because they were my favorite players, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and then I remember Jay and I, Jay Oliver, my, you know, we, cause we'd study all this stuff and we, you know, it's like, what, man, why doesn't it sound, you know, it's not popping. It doesn't have this thing. And, 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 you know, we started to, um, we started to associate the word anger with, with how it came across, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. and sometimes if you're angry about something, if you play angry, there's like this whole energy, you know, there's this whole thing. Um, and so it's not that I was angry a lot, but I had this frame of mind that I was, I in order to get across the emotional aspect, I was, I was thinking that the more physical it looked and the more, you know, of that energy that I put into what I was playing was, was going to come across. So, and in some instances it did, uh, but I look back at it now and I cringe, you know, I just, I watch videos of myself and I'm going, what am I doing? You know, like, <laughs> I am just playing so hard, you know, and, and hitting hard and, and my, you know, my hands are, you know, paying for it today. I mean, it's uh, you know, thankfully I, I met Freddie and started studying with him and completely changed the approach in the mid nineties and, um, and probably saved my career in the process because, because mm-hmm. uh, I was headed down a path where, you know, uh, hands and shoulders and neck and all the stuff was just, you know, starting to really, you know, uh, you know, get beat up, 
Right. It's funny you mentioned that because one of the main differences I noticed from the old video to the new video was from the neck up. Um, because on the old stuff, like there's a lot of head movement, it's jerking around and there's just a lot of tension in your face sometimes. Whereas recently it's just very sort of neutral, serene, you know, (laughs) it must, it must feel better. (laughs) It's boring is another word. If you're watching, it's like, Jesus Christ. I, now I look at myself and go, come on, man, do something, you know, it's like, like, but the, here's the point, you know, the point is, is that, is that it, it was a lot of work back then. Mm-hmm. I was making playing drums really difficult for myself. Uh, and you mentioned the setup before, you know, my online school, it's like there's a whole course setup, you know, just to just to pay attention to how you're uh, setting up so that you're not moving your body in an unnatural way to hit a drum. Yeah. Move your bo- move the drum, not your body. Okay. Mm-hmm. Put it in a position that that correlates with you know, a natural movement that you're not stressing, uh, any part of the body to, to make a stroke or make, you know, anything happen. So all of that has to do with heights and angles. And then there's the whole approach concept of, uh, of how you're holding the stick mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, Peter and Steve and, you know, they, they, I think Peter still does play a bit back on his left hand stick traditional, yeah. um, that is, I mean, Steve is playing more more mash grip these days, but um, but but I think when he's when still when he plays traditional, he's a little bit back on the on the end. And I used to I used to do that too. I subscribed to it because you know, I could get a really good backbeat that way. But you know when you actually think about it from from a a, a physics point of view, as far as action reaction principle, bounce rebound, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. uh, you know. If your stick is not balanced in your hand, which is going to not be holding it from the back, it isn't going to bounce. And so that means you got to do all the work. And that's how I was playing back then. Right. There just wasn't a whole lot of rebound going on. There wasn't a whole lot of the sticks doing the work for me back then. And that was Freddie's that was Freddie's whole mantra. It was like, let the sticks do the work. Get out of the way. You know? mm-hmm. And um, and so when when that happened. Uh, and, and that approach happened where I just went through this, this, this whole kind of starting over thing with the setup and really thinking about it from that point of view and then applying also, you know, more the middle of the hand, uh, you know, fulcrum focus point with thumb and middle finger versus front of the hand priority. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything changed, man. Everything changed. Everything got easier, every, you know, and I, I was actually getting more volume than I was before and more, more big, a bigger sound. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause when you hold the sticks tight and you're, and you're putting a lot of physical effort into it, you're hitting hard, the, that initial transient is going to be, you know, hard. It's going to, it's going to sound yeah almost compressed naturally because that's yep. what you are doing. You're, 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 you're choking the stick before it ever hurt, hits anything. So the sound that you're creating is going to be choked and it might have a, a, a lot of impact, but it's going to sound a little bit on the small side, small and tight. Right. And, um, and plus you're just killing yourself. You know, it's the older you get, you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, I just, I just turned 60 in January and I'm, Good for you. I'm, ba- I feel actually better playing, these days than I did when I was in my late thirties in into my forties, you know? Wow. So, and I don't get the cramping anymore. I've learned how to understand my limits and I've learned how to make the music. I want, this is the most important aspect. It's, it's not about how you look when you play the drums, you know, it's not about 
that physical input so much. It's it's about what does the music sound like? What are, what are you doing to support the music as a drummer? And that that's what's going to get you hired, you know, and right. it's, uh, more than anything else. And rehired yeah. is how you, how you support everyone everyone else, not you know. And sometimes maybe that does take hitting the drums hard, but but for the most part, I remember first time I ever that George Benson, right? He sat in with us at at a club in a, on the Upper West Side in Manhattan. And uh, no, actually, I think I did a gig with him. I got called to do a gig, and it was a live gig at Bells. And he turned around to me and says, man, he says, you play loud. I said, really? <laughs> I said, oh, shit. So, you know, I, you know I, it took me by surprise because I thought that was the thing, man. I would see go see Gad. I would go to see everybody, and everybody was just, like, like I said, jumping up and down on the throne. Right. And... Um, you know, the complete antithesis of that is like now playing with Chick Corea's acoustic group. I mean, back in the day, that's another thing I kind of cringe about is if I see or listen to recordings of 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 those days where I was kind of approaching it like, you know, the electric acoustic band. You know, it was more mm-hmm. of a, a very physical, not 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 a real acoustic approach as far as an authentic aspect. But it was cool. It was made it what it was. But but today, I'm kind of trying to approach it a little bit more authentically, and uh, and that's probably the, the most challenging gig that I do right now, which is trying to play piano trio with Chick yeah. in today versus 25 years ago, because um, he's really wanting to approach it from the most natural aspect that he can. I mean, if he had it his way, he wouldn't use monitors at all. Wow. Um, which is, you know... If you think about that nowadays, how do you do that with a with a drum set, you know, that makes a lot of noise and yeah. you know, you've got an acoustic piano with mics in it and he likes to set up tight. He keeps mm-hmm. wanting to pull the drums in closer. I'm like, no, chick, let me let me be a, back a little bit, you know, so I'm not <laughs> blasting into the piano mics. No, I mean, it's literally it's like six feet from Oof. the you know, my ride symbol is six feet from the piano mics, you know. Right. And uh, that is like I said, I for the first time in my life, I think it was last August. Or maybe it was even a year ago now. I'm not sure when we did this tour, but <clears throat> but uh, for the I went through. We did 23 gigs, mm-hmm. one pair of sticks. Wow. <laughs> I usually go through a pair of sticks like every two shows minimum. You know, right? Max. You know, it's maximum. It's like usually after a show with if on a hard hitting thing where I'm hitting a lot of crashes, a lot of rim shots, a lot of all that stuff, and the sticks mm-hmm. are done. You know, they right, just, right. They, they go quick. Um, one pair of sticks, man. It was unbelievable. That's amazing. That's and they amazing. were still, and they were still in okay shape, you know? Right, right. You could have gone another 10 or 20 or something. <laughs> so yeah, playing soft is a, is a huge, huge challenge, you know? And that's when, that's when the, you know, the, the control aspect has to be there. And, uh, and then when you do play harder, it's the whole aspect of being able to, you know, get the sound out of the drums uh, and allowing those, you know, laws of physics to work without killing yourself. You know? So longevity is the key.
I got one more thing to ask you about, and it's um, kind of your 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 hobby away from drums. And this is something that we like talking about. You know, I'm super into cooking. We've interviewed guys who are into photography or martial arts or what have you. And I didn't know this until recently, but you are into driving cars real fast. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's uh, on the racetrack, mind you. Um, right, right, yeah, <laughs> right. So, yeah, I, uh, and it's actually one of the reasons that uh, that I started pursuing the hobby on the track because on the street it's just too dangerous. And right. you know, for ten years ago, I bought I bought this Corvette for my fiftieth birthday for myself, and. and I was driving it through the canyons in California, and I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm going to kill somebody or myself. So it's kind of been in the background of my family for, for since I was a kid. There was always muscle cars in the family and, you know, four GTOs at one time, Pontiacs. And and, uh, and I've had my share of cool cars, that, uh, but not until I got this vet that I start really – I mean, I did some go-karting and stuff like that in my past when I, when the body could stand it. Right. And I studied racing and I, you know, studied driving and all that stuff and tried to understand how to do it and took some stupid chances on streets during my, <laughs> my life, but, but, uh, never wrecked, never, never crashed or anything and never hurt anybody. So I was lucky right. with that and good with that. But the racetrack is really out here in California. There's, you know, there's racetracks all over the place and there's a lot of track days and, and I started doing it about eight or nine years ago and, and, um, you know, kind of advanced and took some lessons actually from some semi-pro drivers and pro drivers. One of my buddies, Guy Cosmo is actually, a, um, he's in, he's in this whole sim racing thing now because the Bentley that he usually races, obviously nobody's racing right now, but he's, uh, yeah. he's a, he's a good friend and he's a, he's a drummer too. So we, we, we trade, uh, lessons, you know? Oh, cool. Cool. But yeah, so you, you did this, um, you did this podcast about a year ago, I guess it was called speed secrets. Oh yeah, um, with, uh, yeah, with Ross Bentley, yeah. Right. So you you go into like a great deal of of you know detail about kind of your your history with driving and the the crossover between driving and drumming, um, and I I highly recommend people uh, check it out. Um, but what I want to know and what I was kind of wondering uh, as I was listening to that podcast was, is there something is there something about yourself and like your your tendencies? Um, as a person, as far as, you know, decision-making or risk-taking or, um, ambition or what have you, that's, um, you know, that's either a, a help to you or a hindrance in, in both arenas in, in the driving and the drumming. Um, because I've learned that sort of thing about myself through drumming and cooking, like there's tons of overlaps and I make the same sorts of mistakes in, <laughs> in both worlds. Yeah. Um, I, well, it's I'd have to really kind of think about that one a little bit because uh, you know the, the correlations. You know, as far as um, as far as study and knowledge and preparation and and um, you know even down to the ergonomics of of being comfortable in the car, being having mirrors and wheels and everything adjusted and right. and just so you're comfortable. Same thing with the kit. You know, all the ergonomics of being you know comfortable with the kit. Uh, but I think a lot of it has to do, uh, too, with, um, um, you know, it, every, the key for me is knowledge. If I, if I don't feel I know what I can do, uh, or if I don't see somebody do it and say, oh, that's attainable because he's mm -hmm. doing it. So mm -hmm. 
I never look at anybody and go, I can't do that. You know, mm-hmm. well, there's some things. I mean, I can definitely look at Michael <laughs> Jordan or, you know, or right. LeBron James and say, you know, no, too short, first of yep. all. Second of all, no, I'm <laughs> never going to do that. I can't yeah. even hit, I can't hit a, you know, wastebasket with a watered up clip and clean up, you know. <laughs> so forget about basketball. Um, but, but I was, I was pretty good at sports. I was, I was pretty good at football. Well, soccer actually more. I got, I got killed in football. I was too small. Played it one year. <laughs> Baseball, I was pretty good. I was actually, you know, thinking about trying to pursue some sort of sports career when I was young, but I got too young and kind of took me out. And then by the time I was 14, I had decided, no, this, I'm, I'm not good enough at that. Forget about it. I'm going right. to go. I'm doing the drums. That's it. Forget right. it. Nothing else, you know. Um, so for the car thing, it, uh, you know, it comes down to, you know, that knowledge. And Ross Bentley, who I did that po- that podcast with, I had read all of his books when I was training to, to understand how to get on a racetrack and drive the car and just about driving. So I, he's got all these speed secrets books, you know, if like, yeah. you know, great. I highly recommend them if it, you know, anybody wants to learn how to drive or anything about driving a car at all and racing and all that stuff. Um, and so I studied and then I studied with the guys and unfortunately seat time or practice time is not as easy as it is with the drums. You know, we just go sit down and play. Right. Um, well, on a track and a car, it's like, uh, you know, you start beating up the car and, and uh, you know, it's tires and brakes. Forget about it. It's it's a very, very, very expensive hobby. Yeah. Uh, and I luckily, I was on tour a lot and I didn't really get to do it that much. But I was averaging eight to ten track days a year or so. You know, I was getting out there and I took it actually two years ago. I took it to another level and actually got into wheel to wheel racing for a year. Whoa. Um, I had bought a car with a with a with a, a partnered with my mechanic friend Donnie York and 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 he did all the work and we shared the driving and I spent most of the money for the car so it was uh, it was a trade off <laughs> you know yeah uh, but I got into the wheel to wheel thing and and it was a spec series another Corvette series and and I soon realized after three races I said you know what this is not why I like to do this I just I don't like the competitive aspect of there's too much risk, you know. There's it's wheel to wheel. It's like everybody's out there trying to win for what? Nothing really, right, you know. You, right. don't get, you don't even get tires if you win. It's like <laughs> so it was a little bit too much risk, and it wasn't, you know. And and this was a fully caged race car, fire suppression, like the whole thing, and it was yeah. really uncomfortable. And Oof. you know, you're looking at this thing going, Jesus, with a helmet and the cage and this wraparound seat. It's like I'll never get out of this thing, you know, if yeah. it's on fire. So I was like, yeah you know what, I'm going to go back to my street car and just do high, you know, high performance driving events and that's it, you know, so, but I have fun with that and, and it's a, it's a release and at the same time, it's, it's, it's competition with myself, you know, to, to do well, to do it to the best of my ability, to set fast lap times and break my, my previous if I can and, and, uh, and on the drums, it's the same thing. If I sit at the drums, it's like every time I sit at the drums, I kind of treat it like it may be my last time sitting at the drums. Mm-hmm. I don't know that, you know, so I, you know, every time that I, that I do something, uh, whether it be a performance or, uh, you know, a videotape or, you know, anytime, even, even sitting down to practice, man, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm doing, I'm there to do it right. And I'm there to do it seriously. And I remember when I was younger, a lot of people, you know, Especially, you know, the girls would come out, you know, and, and, and believe it or not, in Europe, the chicks would come out for like, you know, for for uh, jazz gigs, you know, and, you know, <laughs> no, and I'd be up there I, with I Stern or whatever. <laughs> and, I, and I'd be trying to play and I'd, you know, and 
and I'd never forget this one girl. She goes, you ought to smile more. I was like, Damn. I was like, look, I'm like, you know, I'm trying to work here. Let me alone. Right, right. <laughs> it's a serious business. I'm playing. Can't you see? Yeah. It's like, you know, but, uh, and well, that's how I kind of approach it. I just, I always like to try to do whatever I'm going to do and learn about it and then try to do it to the best of my ability. And and, uh, and and see what happens. Yeah, yeah and you mentioned uh, you mentioned you know knowing your limitations in both contexts, um, and uh, you know that that can have a connotation of sort of like um, you know a lack of ambition or or just saying like I know I know what I'm going to do I know what I'm comfortable with I'm going to do it, but in, in both contexts it, you know you're you're you mentioned you're in competition with yourself you know what your limitations are. But you're you're constantly trying to just exp- not only expand those limitations limitations, but just find out what's possible within those limitations. Right. Well, exactly. And the other side of that is too that you you have to know what to do to expand them. Because if you just go, I mean, it's it's easier to take the risks at the drum set. Obviously, like you try <laughs> right. something, you mess up. Okay, you just make it into something else, or no big deal. Whatever. Right. You nobody know, dies. Know, nobody dies. Right. In <laughs> the car, it's like you got to You got to actually kind of you know understand what you, what it is you're doing to push those limits. But uh, and then it comes down to look. I drive this car to the track and back, so I don't want to wreck it. It's you know it's a nice car, so you know there's those limitations too with the car. But but it, but. It, just about the knowledge of doing something, you know, it's, it's with the drums. It's like, okay, I know that in order to do this thing, I have to, I have to have good independence between, you know, my hands and my feet to keep the time going with my left foot on the quarter notes and, and play this, this fill, for example, right. you know? And so I've got to sit down and actually work that out. I have to know, you know, over and over again, what's going to make that work and what's going to make that whole thing physically and musically work same thing in the car it's like okay if i'm going to push this braking point so that i can get around this corner into this corner faster and get around the corner faster therefore set lapse times i have to have exact markers and i have to push that marker a little deeper next time so it it just comes down to the details you know of 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 what you you know what you do in the practice set and now i mean i it's like I have a racing simulator now. It's not a mm. real high expensive one, but but I, I'm practicing more now on the simulator about learning how to drive than I am in you know it's a, in a real car. It's a lot cheaper, <laughs> right? Sure, so, you know, and I'm not going to hurt anybody, so it's right. a lot safer too. Um, but yeah, with the drums, man, it's it's uh, it's about it's about gaining the knowledge of hearing what you want to play, being able to sing what you want to play, um, you know, and then working out the physical aspects of just the, you know, the repetitive practice, you know, over and over again until it becomes the muscle memory becomes learned, you know, and, and natural. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dave, thanks so much for talking, man. It was a real, it was a real honor. Appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure, Zach. It was fun. It was nice. Had a awesome. good time. Yeah, I want to wish everybody out there health and, uh, you know, and uh, take advantage of the time. You know, stay positive and and get, um, you know, get get some work done. That's that's uh, it's a it's a nice time to be able to do that right now. Because when you get back to work and then everything gets crazy again, you're going to go, man, why didn't I spend more time practicing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, doing doing this or doing that. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to say too, if uh, you know the, the private lessons are going on online, which you know, and my online school is rocking too. So go to my website, DaveWeckel.com. You can see, check it out all there, and, uh, yeah. and drop drop me a line. Come on, and study, get some work awesome. done. Yes, yeah. sir. Thanks so much, Dave. It was great talking to you. All right, Zach. Thanks, man. 
There you go, the one and only Dave Weckl. From what I can tell, he doesn't do a whole lot of podcast appearances, so we're honored and grateful that he chose to do ours. And once again, thanks to Joe Ganzis from Behind the Kit for helping make that happen. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and WorkingDrummer.net. And if you go to this episode page, you'll see the two videos I was talking about. I highly recommend you give those a look and see the differences in Dave's physical approach. It's really pretty incredible, and of course, the drumming in both videos is just bonkers. Next week, Matt will be interviewing James Beyer, a Nashville area builder of some really incredible boutique snare drums. Hope you come on back for that, and hope you're all finding ways to stay positive and get some work done, as Mr. Welka put it. Thanks again for listening. Cheers. Oh yeah, and stay the f*** home.